Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Sons podcast. My name is Kellen Olson. Joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hi. Listen to that inflection there. Wow. I feel like I gotta try something new. I hate being robotic and saying the same thing every time. So. Well, it's good to have like a go-to to start. I think. I'm not a I'm not a radio person, obviously. So. As the great Missy Elliott once said, "Oh, now I'm forgetting the verse. The part where she says reverse it. <sighs> Whatever. Flip it. Turn." It, it, it well, wah, reverse wah, wah, it. Wah, wah, wah. That's what I wanted to avoid. <laughs> yeah, I remember the verse. <laughs> I was lying. <laughs> the Phoenix Suns are 41 and 35. They just beat the Minnesota Timberwolves in a very important game uh, because they took the tiebreaker. And it looks like by the day, because look, if the regular season was 200 games long, I'm sure that these teams would be somewhat muddled together still on the 200th game but there's only 82 so at a certain point teams are going to have to be not going to have to they are just going to be eliminated from certain elements of the race and it feels like right now the Suns are in a terrific position to avoid the plan now were we ever looking at this like they were going to avoid the plan no or were they going to be in the plan no but that's an important part to mention of the game first but we'll get to that more later in standings talking the update desk and all that jazz because Kevin Durant played last night what did what did you think uh man I told you privately because this is not something to put on Twitter like and this is first half I think I was like, he's either out of shape, winded, or he's not right. And then the more you watch him, I think it was more of just like his rhythm was way off. Um, and it, it honestly might have been legs. Like he just didn't look like he was getting lift on his jumper and that kind of thing. And then he was putting too much lift on after he hit his first bucket. Um, but like it, it wasn't concerning in that way. It just was like, okay, this is very different than the time he came back from his knee injury when he was probably just ramping up for like legit a long month instead of being off his feet. Monty said today they got two full scrimmages in that week, and he, he said it was nearly a week in terms of how incorporated he was into what they were doing. Yeah. The break was like this really good time for them to play, and this time it guess he had a practice or something i don't know they've been doing uh, in the last two weeks at least again we're not there for the practices but we can judge it afterwards and kind of get a feel for how the day went they've been doing a lot more um less full practices or, or like an actual legitimate practice and more of like getting their own work in in the past week or two so i think that partially had to do with it as well he had that uh there was like a loose ball offensive rebound situation he got like a wide open 12 footer on the baseline and he didn't come close to making it and i was like oh he's just whatever it's nerves rhythm whatever it's not like a health or a conditioning thing he's just off yeah i mean there are a lot of times where it looked like he just didn't have a good base under him and like if you've ever gone to play basketball after you haven't played a year before like you just are falling all over the place and i think to some extent he was a little off base in that too just like my timing's off. He threw, he tried to hit DA on just a pass that were like two guys could pick it off. So the timing wasn't there. So yeah, I mean, if he caught open threes, he hit him, and that's like, a, oh, okay. Like that, that's a lot easier. And to some degree, like 
the T-Wolves have a lot of length one, but they were really throwing a bit at him. I, I don't know. Like, if you get off 18 shots, obviously you're able to get those shots off, but he can get shots off uh, anytime he wants. But they were doing a good job on him, I will say that, and that's a big part of it, too. Was Anthony Edwards right? <laughs> Wait, what? Remember when he said, yeah, but we've got Jaden McDaniels? Oh, oh, yeah. Um, they got Jaden McDaniels. He he was fine. He was good. I'm kidding. <laughs> he there. Kyle Anderson like blocked his one leg yeah, step back at one point. That was like okay. Like he's just something's not. That's timing too. Like I don't. That's know. timing. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. So he he was off, but I think it was really encouraging to see how he was playing defensively as well. Because when you sent me that message, I'd been a couple minutes into hyper-focusing on him defensively to be like, okay, is he moving weird? What's going on here? And I thought he was moving fine. I thought that everything looked pretty natural on defense for him. So that pointed to me that it was like a nerves rhythm kind of issue. And then the game and what they said afterward uh, indicated as much. But I still thought it it was crazy because he was 5 of 18 and a lot of his misses were in a bad rhythm because when you're an isolation scorer, and you don't let anything happen in the offense besides you getting the ball pretty much, and you miss or it goes south like it did for that Anderson block or whatever, it throws off the rhythm, and it's a a bad play, basically. That's kind of what it adds up to. Um, It's a lot more different than running 12 seconds of motion, five passes later, open three, and that misses. You know what I mean? So there are nights where that could be a bad performance for him, but I thought that defensively he was actually – pretty good um not and actually being the wrong word to use there because he's normally pretty good on defense anyway but it was just one of those nights where the shot making rhythm wasn't there but everything else looked like it was there i thought he was making the right passes still for the most part i i I just thought he was fine he was still pretty okay in the game overall which is it's one of his worst shooting performances uh in the last like five years and he is not going to play a worse game this year, including the playoffs for the Suns. I feel very safe in guaranteeing that 16, 8, and 4 with two turnovers on 5 of 18 is going to be his worst uh, game of the year. Uh, but other guys stepped up, and this is the whole point of everything that we talked about. This is why I got on my soapbox and said, if their four best players play to their capabilities, they will win an NBA championship. And Booker was getting a good whistle last night. He really tried to draw fouls early in the third quarter. By the mid-third quarter, they were in the bonus. Campaign gets going a little bit, and then they want to pay their attention to Booker and Durant. Okay, we'll just run the two-man game, and if you're going to let us play two-on-two basketball with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, basically, we're going to take that, and that's exactly what they did. They found a way to put Josh Akogi in the strong side corner, Durant in the weak side corner, have uh, Monty had a funny line today of... He called a middle third pick and roll, which is the Spain pick and roll. And then he's like, you guys call it Spain. I don't know why you call it Spain. It, it was invented in America. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure basketball Twitter uh, geeks will get a kick out of that. But he was just breaking down that motion and just how reliable it was for them, even with Duran as a quote unquote decoy. But Monty didn't want to call him a decoy. And Booker was a decoy in some of those sets. As well, uh, and and that's what they can do. This is a team like Booker said last night. They've got two good perimeter defenders. Jaden McDaniels could make all defense this year. I think Anthony Edwards can make first team all defense every year if he wanted to, but that's a, di- a difficult balance when you're a team's leading scorer, and then also doing that on the other end. Now many guys can do that. 
he's going to, I think, in, in due time. And we see it against Booker specifically. Earlier in the year, he was phenomenal on Booker. That was one of the best defensive efforts I've seen on Booker ever. Uh, so those guys, and then Gobert packs the paint on his own, so it, it denies the paint in a certain in a certain way to a certain extent. And they still found a way around it to find enough offense late to win this game. And I think it was really important for them to win this type of game because I don't think there are going to be many ugly games where they can generate only 23, shoot 42%, have 23 assists, which is a pretty low number for them, and then still be in the game and be in a position to not only be can to win it, but like they were in control of it. They didn't really have to chase it at all. Yeah, I think the the defense because Monty like they said defense was the big key and I think that shows up in the T-Wolves three-point percentage and basically the foul line discrepancy going in favor of the Suns which by the way Rudy Gobert complained about that um the daily a new guy in the NBA complains about the officials to me it's just like the Suns were aggressive right Booker was going at people and like there's a difference between drawing fouls and just like trying to flop your way into it and just like okay i'm gonna drive i'm gonna put myself in position and yeah i might sell something but there's contact there right i think that the suns have to learn that difference and they in the last few games have done a really good job of just being like all right we just need to we can control what the refs call and i thought that was a good example um but yeah i mean aside from cat they still have an issue defending bigs when they pop, um, but like their three-point defense is pretty good. I have no clue how good that team is traditionally or for the season about shooting from three, but I think if you win the free throw battle, you win the three-point battle. They didn't win it because they shot 6-20, of 20, but they held them. That's not even that good. 12-35 could have been worse, could have been better. Um but like if you win those two or the combo of those two, then I think that's a good spot for this team to be in because then suddenly you're just saying, okay, how do you do in the mid-range? <laughs> those those three guys, really, because I think we have to talk about Chris Paul. And uh, you said it was his, you wrote it was his best game since the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think if there's another one, but certainly it was the most utilized, like KD no one else was really initiating offense for a lot of the time. Booker did some, but Chris was like super on the ball a lot. And I don't know what that, if that reflects matchups, if that reflects just like, he's like, okay, it's time for me to go. Um, what, what did you see from him? Energy and yeah. intent. Now I can be a narrative man here and go inside baseball a bit and say this was something where he noticed at halftime like okay Kevin's off books still playing well but it's maybe it's not going to be 40 or 50 from shot making you know so this might need to be me tonight and he was already kind of getting to his spots like he had been the last couple of weeks a bit more uh, in the first half and then the second half especially there was just more intent from him and then defensively as well it was like, I'm going to be our star for the second half. I'm going to be the number one guy on both ends of the floor. And he can still do that. Now, we don't know how consistently he can still do it, but he can still do that. And I really thought that he offensively, the numbers were pretty mundane. Like if you're, if you hear me say that and you're reading that and then you see seven of 15 with six assists, you're like, uh... He's done that like seven times already since the All-Star break. 
the look was just different. He was just getting to his shot more and was more aggressive in getting to his shot. I mean, they only generated 23, so it says to the amount of limited ball rotations that he was able to set up and the team was able to set up against what Minnesota was doing defensively. So all of that said, I just think that he was, like I said, or or like you said, that I said, he had his best game since the break, and I think that he is still capable of having those halves and having those sections in a game where he realizes it's his time. And I thought that that was really important for various reasons that uh, we've already kind of touched on a bit. Josh Kogi was really good in this game. Yeah. He made a handful of energy plays in the second half of the game that I didn't get to in my recap, but he was, he was plus 12 and that's fair to him. Nine rebounds, three on the offensive glass, two steals and a block to go with his 10 points. I am curious to see how, if we get to the point in playoff games, because people will really lock in on things and be like in the playoffs, this is going to be like, and, and sometimes it's just not it, by the, w- but from what I've seen and like covering it to the extent that we did the last two years by the Western conference finals, that's when the later you get, but something I did notice was this is a natural matchup. And so will Friday where Michael Porter jr. Pigeon, they can just, put him on a Kogi and then Towns pigeon. They can just put him on a Kogi. They still found ways to attack him and they still did a lot in saying that, but it's just, again, like back of the head for two months from now. Yeah. Looking at that type of thing and noticing it in this type of game specifically. Uh, And I was just really impressed that they won this game, honestly, because Minnesota was tired. It was shaping up to be one of those good wins or a bad loss and like nothing in between. But the fact that they were able to win it still uh, was good. You know what it reminded me of is I think it was first in the bubble where that team just, it was never impressive looking, but even if they went down like 10, it would just be like, it didn't phase them. They would just chip away at it. Um, even if they're up by 10 and the team storms back, they're fine. And they were just like super steady. And I I don't know if why I jumped to that or if I'm just making this crap up, but like the last night it looked like that, right? Like even with the KD hype and all that, there was no panicking. I, I don't think they really like got into it with the refs maybe once or twice there. Like they just kept with it and were like, we're fine. We're fine. And then kind of pulled away late. Right. So I, I think that's the most interesting thing to me as this team kind of develops like it still has to develop a personality because the personality of this team was like suddenly at the tail end of last year, things could snowball and, and they really haven't, they've had a couple of those lately, but I think they might be starting to get over that. And obviously it's an important time not to let things snowball when bad things happen to you over a stretch of a few plays, because uh, that's, that's kind of how they ended last season. Let's talk standings. Uh, yeah. Math is, again, we never thought that the Suns were going to fall to the planet. We never thought they were going to catch the Kings, but they are now five back in the loss column of the Kings. Both teams have six games to go. That's pretty much a lock that yeah. they're Kings not going to be three. able to get to three. Sacramento would have to lose all six of their games, and then the Suns would have to win all six of their games, and then by then they would win the, they would win the tiebreaker, I guess, uh, by the, by the math. Uh, but they are one ahead in the loss column of the Los Angeles Clippers. They are two ahead 
in the loss column of the Warriors. And then, of course, the three other teams, I think, at, at 38 losses, which are in the plan right now, Minnesota, L.A., and New Orleans. I am pretty much ready to say that those teams can't catch Phoenix. I feel like it comes down to the Clippers and the Warriors, and if it, it, you wonder if the Suns could slip to six. Could they stay at four? It's more about who could move to five. Uh, because could Minnesota, L.A. or New Orleans or even Oklahoma City, could they jump to five? I Sure. But I don't think any of those teams are going to be able to catch the Suns. Here's the Clippers' remaining schedule. Tonight, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, they play Memphis on the road. Road back-to-back. They play at New Orleans after that. Then they have three days off of games, and then they play the Lakers. And then three days later again so they get quite a bit of time portland at home and portland has sat everyone yeah. so that's a free win basically and then they are at the suns on the second game of a back-to-back uh for the last game of the year here's golden state again so golden state two back in the loss column they have got five games left uh in in their regular season suns have six suns have tiebreaker already suns have that tiebreaker already the clippers won tbd that would come down to division record again most likely but again all the suns need to do i believe is just win one more game in their division schedule conference and they're good i think on clippers and then on the conference slate they are 26 and 20 the clippers are 24 and 23 and those six games left also I those think. division games are against uh for the suns i'm sorry they are against Both LA's. the lakers and the clippers those are their last two games of the year so it might it might come down to the clippers game and like let's say the clippers win they win to get the first tiebreaker they win to get uh or to force the tie, the second tiebreaker and third tiebreaker meaning they take the head the head to head one is split the division one is tied that would still go to conference record and then by then the suns would still when be they, when do clippers play lake they you, you said they have the lakers game right clippers play the lakers on april 5th the suns play the lakers on yeah. april 7th so, so it's april Friday. 5th game i think if the clippers lose that then they're done because they're they they're done in it. terms of the tiebreaker yeah, yes yeah. Uh, and then at a certain point again math is going to math you can look at it like a two-game lead almost because they're a game up on the clippers there are two games up on the warriors but they have the tiebreaker over the warriors already they just got the tiebreaker over minnesota as well which is why i kind of mentioned that but golden state uh home against san antonio on friday that seems like a freebie especially because they're at home at denver uh on april 2nd that is a Sunday, and then on Tuesday, they play home against OKC. That's a huge game for it. That might be OKC loses. They're out of the play-in. Like, that might be... Yeah, that's big for them. The math is going to be ginormous there. It's going to be a big-time game to watch for. At Sacramento on Friday, April 7th. Now, will Sacramento have anything to play for by then? That's the interesting part of this. Golden State might have everything to play for, and Sacramento might already be locked into the three or the two. Maybe they have the two to play for, and then they get... A freebie on Sunday against Portland, but it's on the road. And I like they're one of the worst road teams in the league this year. They are, again, we reinforced it before. So I'm not exactly sure on Golden State in terms of the route for them to catch. And then same thing with the Clippers. That's not the easiest schedule. You've got four teams with everything, uh, three teams with everything to play for for their next three. Again, five games left for the Clippers as well. The Russell Westbrook thing is kind of going well for them. We'll see. 
Pelicans last six games, Nuggets, mm-hmm. Grizzlies, Kings, Knicks, Clippers, Timberwolves. Yikes. Pelicans were in a pretty good position, but that doesn't look so rough. Uh, Lakers have two left against the Jazz and one left against the Rockets, so they've got three not freebies necessarily, but three that look good good there. They've got another one against Clippers, another one against the Suns, and another one against the Timberwolves. So I don't... If I had to guess how this would shake out, I think we're almost at the point now where we're looking at chalk. Like, we're kind of set where we yeah, are right now. I mean, I looked at some site had percentages, like odds of... Suns basically aren't very small chance of landing in a play in game. Um, and yeah, like if they end up with tiebreakers, it could get crazy if, especially if there's multi-team stuff going on, which I don't want to dive into that right now, but yeah, I mean, even if they go 500 rest of the way, six, six games, right. Then, um, those other teams have to catch them and, and go on runs. Yeah, I just, I just don't. I don't really see it. I think a lot, a lot can still happen with five games left for sure. But I think we're looking at Suns versus the Clippers, the Warriors in the first round, which are the two teams that it seems like everyone is the most afraid of. Uh, speaking on behalf of the Suns fan base that I do interact with and see on Twitter, Dallas obvious reasons, but they might not even make the plan anymore there, and they are in oh. serious. Trouble. Cluster. They're out of it. They're in eleventh right now. They have. They're at forty. Lo- they Full have five game games out. left, and they're at forty losses. So uh, we'll see. I think they. I if I remember correctly, the horrible nature in which they lost was horrible, and and like uh, gave up ground is because their destiny is out of their hands. They end with Miami, Atlanta, Sacramento, Chicago, San Antonio. So they don't play. Oh, gosh. They don't play any of those teams. And Chicago has something to play for. Miami is on the play-in playoff line. So that Saturday game is going to be huge. And then I believe Atlanta is in the play-in mix in the East, too. Oh, they have a bad conference record. Oh, wait, no, they have a good conference they have a good record. One, yeah. um, division is pretty good. But, yeah, it's... They might get lucky in a tiebreaker, I feel like, if they make up a game on OKC. I don't know. I think that it is going to be the Wolves, Lakers, Thunder, and Mavericks in the plan. I think the Pelicans are going to slip. Ooh. That schedule's tough, man. All right. It's brutal. It'll be fun. I'm ready for uh, Memphis versus uh, the Lakers, and then... Dallas versus Denver in round one, and then we get one eight two seven <laughs> like that right off the bat. That'll be fun. It's fun, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Kings out of the first round. We had to hit on this because when we come back, that's the thing: time, numbers, math. Uh, half those games will be done, so we'll be back here on Wednesday of next week. It's looking like that is with three games to go for the Suns' schedule, so we'll know a lot more by then in terms of what's possible. And what is not uh, for their schedule looking ahead and what the postseason's look looking like. My goodness, Kevin, I'm going to know with like less than 48 hours of a heads up who they're going to play in the playoffs. I might actually have a full week to write something. Yeah. I blacked out when I wrote that Mavericks one. I got to be honest. That was like 36 hours and I got. Maybe you have time to sleep. 3,000 words well, out. A few sleeps before it gets wild here. No sleeping now, buddy. Okay. That's over. We'll see you next week.